Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome back to the Anthony Gordon show. Now, I usually don't make any guarantees before we before the camera says live, but I will say with some circumspection that I, I guarantee this will not be boring. So I have a dear friend, Harry Rothenberg, as our uh, special guest. And the reason why I think this is not going to be boring is as I was sort of putting my notes together, thinking about the chat we were going to have, I realized that truth be said, uh, Harry and I have actually a number of things uh, in common. Uh, in no particular order, firstly, movie star looks. There's no question. Uh, we both uh, are graduates of uh, Harvard Law School. We are both, um, I would think it's fair to say, have pursued a, a spiritual life, but straddling the worlds, if you will, um, you know, of our religious commitment, while at the same time, are both deeply involved uh, in the, the so-called Western secular world. And it takes, I think, a, a certain type of intestinal fortitude and focus to be true to oneself um, and take whatever the values and the type of legacy one wants to leave, leave um, in the journey that we both are on. So, I think for our listeners, Harry, the best place to start is a context. Can you give the listeners a little bit of a journey and take us from your humble beginnings in Philly to uh, let's start from, from there to post-Harvard Law School, just so that they can give it a context. So when we start drilling down, they get a, a sense of the context of the questions. Sure. Um, first of all, pleasure to be on. Thanks for the, the intro. Uh, sure. So as you said, I, I grew up in Philly. So if you have trouble understanding my accent, um, <laughs> you'll just let me know. Uh, I notice you do have a very thick uh, LA accent. You know, one of the thicker ones yeah, that yeah. I've heard. Um, so hopefully you'll, you'll be okay to, yeah, we'll, we'll power through with our respective accents <laughs> and, uh, you know, grew up like a lot of American kids or a lot of kids in Philly wanting to be the next shortstop of the Phillies after Larry Bowe mm -hmm. retired. Um, there's an old joke, it's just not a joke, that bar mitzvah is the age when a Jewish boy realizes he's more likely to own a professional sports team than to play for one. So <laughs> around that time, I realized I'm probably not going to be the, uh, the Philly shortstop. And uh, I went to day school uh, yeah. where the, the day was split between Judaic subjects and, and the secular subjects. I found the secular right. ones fascinating found the Jewish ones painfully boring, mm -hmm. um, went off. I started my college career at University of Pennsylvania, transferred uh, for various reasons to Columbia, and then got into Harvard Law School and decided I got to figure something out with this Judaism. 
because it was the only area in my life that I was only doing things halfway. Everything else, if I if it was important, I always say if it's if it's worth doing, then it's worth doing well. If it's not worth doing well, it's not worth doing. And so, with my Judaism, it was yeah, you know, here and there, Jew-ish. Ish. Would it be true to say then that um, get, getting to Harvard Law School after obviously I put in a good word? I think. I, I yes. Uh, yeah, I think that. Uh, I think that that, that was a feather on the scale. Yeah. Um, how was that a, a catalyst to you really wanting to do some serious soul searching about your commitment to your, your heritage, your religion? It sounded like that was a tipping point. I, I think it was a time in my life. My, my feeling was that once you, you set foot into the august halls of, uh, of HLS, yep. you're heading on a career for most of us, you're heading on a career track. And when yep. are you going to be able to take some time? Uh, and so with my parents' uh, support and, and encouragement, uh, they, I was able to do that. I was able to take off a year that ended up turning into two years uh, worth of a spiritual journey uh, in the Holy Land and came back. He, the, the guy who got off the plane was not the same guy who got on the plane. So I'm going to also uh, touch on that. But let's just press pause for a second. During your sojourn at arguably... Um, the most, you know, one of the best known education institutions in the world. At, at ch- times have changed, but when you were there, um, how comfortable was it um, being, I don't know if you were, a conspicuous uh, observant Jew? I, I was conspicuous. Um, I was comfortable um, because, but you know, that may be just the, the product of the times diversity was the buzzword on campus. Nobody okay. was about to make fun of somebody for, um, for being visibly Jewish. I had just come back from two years in Israel. So, uh, rather than take it off and put on a baseball cap instead, which I used to often do in the past or just take it off. Uh, I was very proud to be wearing it. Um, I did have an incident on my first day at Harvard law school where okay. I did not want to be the first guy called on. And I was sitting in the second row, just looking down at my notebook because I don't want to make eye contact. I don't want to look too eager. And right. the professor, after this long introduction about how it's not like it was portrayed in paper chase and in one L, we're not here to embarrass or to intimidate or humiliate. Um, he said, but we're going to use the Socratic method. We're going to call on volunteers. And he asked the first question and he said, OK, how about you? And he's standing. I could see even though I'm looking down, I could see he's standing right in front of me in the second row. I'm thinking this may not end well for me. And he says, how about you, Mr. Jew? Oh, and my the, gosh. The floor opened up underneath me. I couldn't believe it. Like, what a setup. He said he's not going to embarrass us. Calls me Mr. Jew. Isn't it discriminatory? This is insane. I'm thinking, like, I don't even remember what the question was. Sure. And then all of a sudden, the guy sitting directly in front of me in the first row starts answering the question. The Asian fellow, Thomas Jew, J-O-O. Oh, that's hysterical. That is, so that is I'm, classic. So I'm sitting back going, thank God. So, <laughs> so for those two seconds that it took Tom Jew to like clear his throat and then start answering, wow. yes, I felt very self-conscious and uncomfortable since then. Not at all. Not at all. That's amazing. And we so, shouldn't be. And, and, and no. no one should feel uncomfortable because of their, their, what, what's on their head or, or what their clothing is or, or, their, or their skin color or orientation. I mean, we, we, we know that. We've, we've come a long way. Um, you- and so... Do you find, and I'll tell you where I'm going with this, because I want to I yeah. ex- explain to you why I think you are, um, in, in many ways, um, the perfect guest. Um, do you find yourself, even subconsciously, 
overcompensating to dispel stereotypes. In other words, religious people, we're supposed to be nerdy, geeky guys with, with, with dandruff and pimples. So um, yes and no. And there's a very big divide between my personal and my professional life. In my yes, professional life, it, it, that, do I overcompensate? Okay. In my professional life, I won't give in an inch. I'm, okay. I'm always aware. And I felt it sometimes, no one's ever said it, that here I am, the guy with the beanie on his head, right. and I represent people who have been injured in catastrophic accidents. And what's my job? My job is to get them the most money possible. I've never had a client say, I'm hiring you to get me like an okay amount. I don't want the most you can get me. Every client wants the most that I can get them for their very serious yep. injuries. And I'm, and I'm unabashed about that. I always explain to people, uh, if it ever comes up, it, it, would you ever say to an accountant, all you want to talk about is money. I'm an accountant. Right. I'm a personal injury attorney. That's all my, that's the only thing I can give to my clients is I can give them money. So I'm unabashed about that. If somebody's going to feel, oh, look at the Jew looking for more money, I have a fiduciary responsibility 100%. to my clients to maximize. In my personal life, I am concerned about it. And I will tell you that if it's a, if it's a close call and it's not a situation where somebody is absolutely taking advantage of me, it's a quote, it's, it's damage to something, it's a back and forth. I definitely err on the side of being very generous whether it's tipping, whether it's a negotiation, whether it's a, a job that needs to be done around the house, uh, because I am wary of that, because I don't want to be seen as the as the Jew who's trying to uh, get away with uh, saving or skimming yep. off a, a few dollars. And yep. if that means overcompensating and giving in, so be it. Thank God I'm successful enough that a few dollars one way or the other in my personal life is not going to make a difference. Okay, I hope so this I is not licensed for people to take advantage of me, but <laughs> I'm, I'm mindful uh, okay, when I'm very... in my personal life. And do you, uh, so I'll, I'll give you an example I, I, I uh, was speaking about to someone else this morning. You're on an airplane. Mm -hmm. uh, the truth be said, the, you know, we're living in an environment where there's been a huge uh, spike of anti-Semitism. Mm -hmm. You've got a robust social media that's uh, perpetuating hate crimes. Mm -hmm. Do you find yourself, okay, uh, there are eyes staring at me. I better make sure that when I, I better offer the, the, the person in front of me to help them put their... Things that you just going out of your way to say, you know, this this portrayal of a pariah nation, and we we've got horns on our heads. This is insane, and sort of find yourself being overly magnanimous. So yes, I find myself being overly magnanimous, but not for the reason that you're mentioning. Not because I'm on the defense of that. I feel we have a bad reputation, and I don't want to add to that, and I want to make up for it. Rather, the reason that I'm overly magnanimous is that we are supposed to be. There's a reason we're supposed to be the light unto nations. We're yep. supposed to be the first guy to let someone cut in front of us. We're supposed to be the first guy to open the door, the first person to say please, the first person to say thank you. If I'm walking down the street, hello, good morning, how are you? Yep. Walk into my building, every security guard knows. I never walk past them without, without uh, saying Maybe. hello. So that's what we're supposed to do. It's the right thing to do. It's what we all should do. Yeah, I, 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 I'm like that, and I saw that uh, there's no question. So let, let me give you a context, and, and then we, we're going to jump into the, I think, the proverbial meats and potatoes. Several years ago, as you and I, we've crossed paths, uh, sort of one step, one degree separate from a lot of mutual friends in the, yeah, it's called the proverbial uh, uh, Jewish speaking circuit. Mm -hmm. So for several years, myself, Dennis Prager, and Ben Shapiro were the speakers at an event. Um, and, you know, we really got to get to know each other. And uh, Dennis says, you know, Anthony, you've got a, a unusual combination. You're a confident person. You've got an accent. You uh, uh, drop dead looks. Um, you've got humor. 
you know, uh, you should have, you, you know, the idea of having a, a larger platform, which is the sort of the precursor to uh, this podcast. And then we started drilling down on the thesis and the theme of the Anthony Gordon show, which at the end of the day, Harry, is you and I speak to a lot of uh, disenfranchised, I think disproportionately millennial folks uh, that through no fault of their own, I think have been drinking the Kool-Aid and have been embracing whatever the content, the party line is imparted primarily through social media. And in my many years, and I have no doubt you as well, have found that not only is um, a lot of the ideas, values, and principles uh, that they're internalizing uh, erroneous, fallacious, it actually hurts them. And so the idea is <clears throat> really to, in a very gentle way, to dispel uh, a lot of what mainstream culture is talking about and, and really try and impart and give tools and ideas to help people have a meaningful, purposeful life. That, that's what this is about. Great. So let me, with that in mind, how do you, because full disclosure, there's a little bit of projection here. How do you, in a court setting, in a, in a work setting, whether it's opposing counsel, whether it's someone uh, in the courtroom, whatever, and you, and you see somebody who you, you might have engaged in a discussion that articulates certain things that, you know, that you know are, they're just parroting what they dream here, but it's, it's probably not going to bode well for them if, they, if this, these are the kind of values that they embrace. How do you, because I know you care, you care very deeply. It was self-evident when we, we, we spoke together recently, uh, at a retreat in, uh, in, in New Jersey, and it's very, very clear. Then that's that authenticity and sincerity you can is can, that can never be contrived. How do you um, try and relate to people that, you know, if you keep pursuing this sort of goal of uh, uh, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, it's unlikely that you'll have a wholesome, uh, meaningful life. How do you try and portray that without? sounding like you proselytizing, forcing something without becoming like, you know, a whack job standing on a tomato box and saying the world is, you know, that's, that's, I'm an intense guy. So are you, so that's my struggle. So it really depends on the, on the person and it depends on the context. There are times when I will invite someone over to my house because I feel that they'll greatly appreciate a traditional Friday night Shabbat dinner. Right. Um, certain holidays are, are uh, incredibly uh, entertaining for, yeah. for want of a, of a better word, pour them when we're in costumes, Sukkot yeah. when we're, we're outside in our, in our huts. Um, other times it's a conversation. I may recommend to someone a particular class that I've given um, yeah. because a topic may come up. And I say, you know what? I, I, I drill down on this. You may get a kick out of this. Let me send it to you. And people are receptive to that. And it's no pressure because maybe they watch it. Maybe they don't. Yeah. I'm not following up with them a few days later saying, okay, what'd you think? Did you watch <laughs> yeah. it? It's up to them. Here it is. Sure. I may recommend a website. I may recommend yep. or, or send a book. Um, I talk often um, when I'm not talking about sports, which is a, a passion <laughs> of mine. And it's something with which we, we often connect to, to fellow yep. sports fans. I talk about my family um, and I, I'll often share stories um, in order to, to kind of highlight what I think people are missing. And I, and I think so. I'll tell you, I'll tell you two things. Um, I do this often. I'll, I'll appear before a, an audience and I'll say, I want to ask you an honest question. And I'm going to put everybody in the spot together so nobody should feel individually uncomfortable. And it's up to you whether you want to call out or not or volunteer. Who rules your life? But be honest with me. 
And I get such great answers. Hands start going up in the room. My wife, my husband, my boss, the stock market, my, my diet, my Peloton. Then you get the religious <laughs> people in the audience. God. Okay. You get younger people, my mother, my father, yeah. my grandmother, my grandmother, all these wonderful answers. And I great say, question. Can, can one person in the room, please be honest. I've never had it happen once. I say, come on guys, we know who runs our lives. What happens when a mother has a newborn baby, right? Nothing against guys. It could be father also, but traditionally it's the mother has that sixth sense yeah. where it's, and I've seen this happen before. I'm a, I'm a father of a large family. Thank God. I'm mm -hmm. a grandfather where my wife will wake up. Whoa, was that a cry? I'm like, well, I don't hear anything. And sure enough, it was a cry three rooms away. She heard the cry. We are the same way. Here it is. Here it is. Yeah, yeah. Rules our life. What is it? My baby? What is it? Is 100%. it a tweet? Is it a yep. WhatsApp? Is it 100%. Slack? Is it yep. an yep. email? Is, is it Facebook? Is it Instagram? Is it mm -hmm. Snapchat? Endless. It 100%. runs our lives. And the, and the problem today, when you're talking about speaking to millennials and I can cry when I see it, there's nobody home. There's no, there's nobody home. You want to take it out of their hands and throw it across. I want to take my own and throw it across the room. So I say, thank God, as an observant Jew, I get one day a week where I can take back control of my life. That's number one. Number two, that's great. We have this as pair as parents. We tend to think that we can make up for the lack of of quantity time with quality time. I'm going to do something special with my kid, which is great. There's there's nothing greater than quality time when you are doing something special right. with your with your kid. But what you have to realize is that it, it, is that they just they just want us and they want they want us to be there so i'll give you an example of this this is like putting sports and family together this was um before the 2017-18 season my son who at the time was 15 turning 16 said to me dad i'm telling you the philadelphia eagles that's our team i'm from philly they're going to win the super bowl this year so i sat him down i figured this is very important as his father i sat him down i said listen you have to understand something as a philadelphia eagles fan you cannot you can't, you can't do this. Okay. Because they're going to break your heart. I'm telling you this. Okay. I, I was at the time, you know, 50, whatever. Okay. The, every season, every practically every season, I convinced myself they're going to win the Super Bowl. It never happens. So I'm just telling you, you don't even you say, no, I'm telling you when he's ready to, they're going to win. I was like, listen, I'm telling you, they're never going to, I've been my whole life. Fine. They somehow survive the first round against the Falcons with, with yeah. Nikki Foles, backup quarterback, okay. leading the way. Okay, great. Now they're now in the NFC Conference Championship, and I am overseas, and I am scheduled to return on a red eye the morning of the game. And so my son calls me. This is a few days before the game, and he says to me, Dad, we're, this is actually several days before, like right when they announced, he's Dad, we're, we're going to the game, right? I said, listen, this, listen, <laughs> just hear me out. Just hear me out, okay? I said, I'm coming home on a red eye. I physically don't think I'm going to be able to get off a red eye and then drive round trip to, to you know, to, to, to Philly. And he's not yet, he wasn't yet driving. And, um, and I don't think it's fair to the other kids. Like I'm going to show up. I haven't been home in a, in a, in a week plus. And I'm going to say, Hey guys, hello, goodbye. And then leave them behind. I said, it's not fair. So I'm going to stay home. I'm going to watch the game with the other kids. I said, but don't worry. Don't worry. I've got you taken care of. I <sighs> spoke to one of my brothers, uncle Ross is taking you to the game and we're good because I'm self-projecting because when I was his age, just give me a ticket to the game. Yep. I'll go with a random stranger. Just get me in the building. It means, yeah, conference championship, right? Right. And he says to me, to my utter shock, and I could hear through the phone, but he's like fighting back tears. This is a 16-year-old boy. Wow. He says, but dad, I want to go with you. Wow. I want to go with you because that's what your kids want. They want you. They don't want just a special hour. Yes, of course, that's great. Or special two hours. 
They want you. And that's the one thing that I've learned, the difference between my, my older kids and my, and my younger kids is that if you're going to cut out anything to spend more, cut out the stuff that you're doing for yourself. I can't, I lost track of the number of times, Amazing. you know, earlier in my life, somebody would call me up. I got legend seats to the Yanks. I got, I got court side to the Knicks. Okay. Call my wife. I can't come home. Am I crazy? So now if I'm going to a game just about every time I'm going with one of my, with one of my kids priorities, that's what's important. Oh, was it you or I'm trying to think who said to me, we were, t- we're talking about the definition of spoilt. That's a very, very insightful line. The person said a person who gives away more things than love. So if a person receives a whole bunch of you know, materialistic things and it's supposed to be a proxy for I'm there, I love you. It never, and that's what's happened. I see to a ton of kids that are, don't have the emotional maturity to really say to their parents, you know, this, this Apple 6.3.0, it's not going to cut it, you know? Right, right, right. So I want to pivot for a sec because I, 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 here's, here's what I realized. And I said it to you at the time as a young, as a young kid growing up uh, in, in South Africa, my late mom saw me apparently in front of the mirror. You know, some people take, you know, the back of a brush and pretend they Michael Jackson. Apparently I, I was pretending I was speaking to this audience and she was a very insightful, brilliant woman. There's a little article on h.com about an amazing, amazing lady. And even though I, my, my financial beginnings were humble, she had a, one of the top speech, uh, you know, public speaking uh, people in South Africa training about intonation and beat. At the end of the, 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 uh, this whole course, two things, and this is not going to be uh, earth-shattering to you, in the public speaking world, really it comes down to two things. Authenticity. People know whether you're real or not, and they will never. And you can never speak at people, meaning if it's purely going to be intellectual, it's really at people. To speak with people, to engage people, you need stories. And that's, Harry, when I... When we were um, at this uh, Shavuos retreat together, I found that that's a very powerful style. And, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think what you've done and incredibly successfully is taken a, a number of cases in your professional practice and being able to give it over in an incredibly exciting narrative and then extrapolate the life lessons from that. So the, this podcast really is about trying to impart tools, lessons that can help folks. And if I'm putting you on the spot, forgive me, but it would be amazing if you could share with our listeners, you know, a, a case or two that sticks out in your life journey where, you know, at the end of the day, there's, a, there's something we can take away that will be germane to all of us in terms of, you know, impacting some tools uh, that, that, you know, we can come to an end and after the standing ovation that we, that we can, they'll remember the story and they'll remember the list. Well, trigger alert. The stories from my practice are not for the, the faint of heart. Um, so I'll tell you one that, that sticks out in my mind. Um, the, the, um, the most common complaint that I get uh, from clients, particularly in the, in the wrongful death cases, is the suddenness with which it happened. They just, mm-hmm. they, they did not get a chance to say goodbye. I'll give you an example. One of the, one of the more horrifying examples. Um, I have a client a number of years ago who got a phone call in his office in Manhattan uh, from a state trooper in New Jersey who asked okay. him to come home. And he said, now, listen, I know this is going to sound like some kind of crazy prank or fraud, 
here, here is the phone number. You can Google it. You'll see that it goes to the, to the New York, to the New Jersey state. I just want to say for barracks. I just want to make a footnote for our listeners. For those folks that may be uh, tuned in late or, or uh, if I wasn't clear. So Harry Rothenberg um, is a partner at the Rothenberg law firm, which is one of the leading law firms in America today, dealing with personal injury, wrongful death, traumatic brain injury cases. So this is the context uh, that uh, Harry's the journey that Harry's taking us. I'm sorry. So, so, so he gets a call from the state trooper. He confirms, he does go look on the website and confirms. He said, look, call me back, he calls back and he asks for the fellow. And once he confirms that it's a, it's an, a legitimate call, he gets in his car and heads home. And there's a, uh, a state trooper's car, a police car in his driveway, goes into the house. They sit him down and they tell him that a car in which his um, being driven by, by someone else, not a family member, but in which his mother oh, and his 20 some year old son were passengers was rear-ended by a truck and the, the, um, the, from the, the truck or some, something part of the truck, um, metal along the, the roadway, um, uh, the force of the, of the car, the force of the collision dislodged the, the fuel nozzle fuel leaked on the roadway, the truck coming across it started a fire and they were, they were burned alive in the car. Oh my gosh. His mother and his son. Oh my God. Now, now, what that means is, and this is what I hear time and time again, oh is that I didn't get a chance to say goodbye. Now, that is an incredibly difficult thing for people to bear. Yep. But there's a next level that's even worse. And the next level that's even worse is when there is any, and I, I want to stress, any type of unresolved issue. Yeah. They were in an argument. They were in a fight. I meant to apologize. I meant to make up. I should have apologized. I should yeah. have made up. Why? And there's, and there's no, there's no chance. And, 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 and to me, it's just such a constant reminder of, of just how fragile life can be and how quickly it, it can end without any notice whatsoever. And, and those people with whom we're closest to, to the extent that there's ever friction, there's always going to be friction. Nobody, nobody gets on, you know, the, the yep. Pacific Coast Highway, nobody where you are, certainly nobody goes anywhere. You can't go around the corner without hitting some traffic. Right? No, no, that's, yeah, um, so you're going to hit traffic. You're going to hit speed bumps in your relationship, but it's in your relationships. And it's so important to make sure that if that ever happens, even if it means you being the big person, you know, you're, you're a hundred percent right. Reach out, reach out, apologize, reach across the divide because, you know, just stop and think, imagine if I, if I don't get the chance. Sure. And so that's a, that's a, um, Constant reminder. Um, so I would, I would say if I, in summation, because we try and pull out the, so the pearl there is you never know, uh, you know, when it's going to be your last day. And you said it beautifully that rather be, rather have peace, rather have shalom than being right. Take the high road because <clears throat> the, the, I guess, a sense of unresolved guilt and, I mean, I'm sure trauma, if heaven forbid someone is taken when you're in this limbo stage, is you carry for your, the rest of your life. Yeah. That's a great yeah. lesson. Great yeah. lesson. Yeah. Um, I have another, another case, wow. um, you know, equally gruesome and horrifying. Um, a fellow was... I, just, um, I want to ask you something, yeah. Harry, because I always try and put myself sure. in the mind of the yeah. listeners. So some guys driving down the 405, he's listening to the podcast. Um, he has two questions you might ask, and I, I'm saying this in, in, in all seriousness. Sure. From one lawyer to another, and also you have an area of specialty that I, that I don't know much about, is 
is the reason, for example, why the sheriff or the person who broke the news has to be sort of graphic? Is that as part of his um, disclosure that, you know, to, what's, what's the thin line between, you know, not, not completely shocking a person and you have to disclose what, you know, really what happened? It's a great question. Different instances, certain instances, they have tremendous information right away. And in others, they sort of tease it out. I'm very careful that in the, in the instances when they don't have as much information, I will say to my clients in the wrongful death cases at the first meeting, I'm the lawyer and it's my job to maximize the recovery. And there are details that I'm going to have to get. I'm going to have to get all the details. And I'm telling you now, I'm not going to share them with you. Certain details okay. with respect to exactly how things happened. Wow. You don't need to, and you don't want to hear them and don't ask me for them. And most okay. times clients will respect that. Occasionally they won't. In this instance, it may well have been that with respect to identifying the body, he, he may have Got felt it. that he had to tell him because it was Got so it. unusual that he had wow. to, that he had to, uh, to reveal it to him. Yeah, but it does depend on the case and on who the person is who's giving the information. Got it. Okay, so story number two. I interrupted you. Sorry. Yeah, so, so, so um, fellow is uh, walking home from the, the subway stop, and okay. he sees a commotion in the, uh, in the roadway. He sees that there's some people gathered on the sidewalk, and there's a, and there's a fellow um, sprawled on the, roadwalk, ro- on, the, on the roadway, bleeding. He sees a car stopped. Apparently, the car had hit the fellow. And uh, paramedics are not there yet. Somebody had called them. They said, yeah, we called the paramedics and they're kind of crowding around and nobody's sure what to do. And he notices this is in the winter that there's a scarf over the young man's face. And he says, well, we, we have to move the scarf. Like the way he fell, the scarf is like covering. He's, it's going to yeah. stop him from breathing. We have to move the scarf. And somebody else is arguing with him and saying, no, I, I heard like when somebody's hurt, you don't touch them at all. He says, I, look, I'm no expert, but the scarf is over his face. Like he has to be able to breathe. So he bent down. This is at night, so the lighting's not great. And he and he moved this and he and he moved the scarf. Um, and then he went home. He gets home and goes up to his uh, to his apartment and says hello to his wife. Um, and he says, "Hey, where is so and so, our son?" And she says, oh, "You know, he's he's not home yet." And he oh, says, wow. "He's not home yet, but he's usually home by now." And and then his um, you know the the, the spidey sense starts tingling. He oh, says, "I'll gosh. be right back." I'll be right back. And he walks to the corner. The police are there by now. He says to the police officer, um, have they, I, I, do they know who got hit? Did they know anything yet? And the police officer says, I can't tell you anything. He says, well, you know, but I just want to know, like, did they know the name yet? He says, listen, I can't tell you anything. He says, look, I'm just, can I just tell you my name? Okay. I'm worried. You know, maybe it was my son. Oh God. He says, what's your name? And it was his son. Mm. It was his son. Mm. And, and he said to me that, as, as horrible as it was, as horrifying, as terrible, as difficult it will be, if at all, to get over it, at least he can take with him that he knows that the last thing he did for his son was an act of kindness. Wow. And he kept saying that, imagine if I hadn't moved the scarf and had to deal with, you know what, maybe, maybe that's yeah, yeah. what caused or hastened his death. Now, sure. imagine walking around with this. So at least he has the solace and comfort that sure. he was in a position. And it wasn't easy. It was a guy trying to convince him not to, that, that he at least was able to provide some comfort, some kindness during the, the last seconds of his son's life. Wow. Um, and that for me is, look, you don't pass up an opportunity to do a kindness. You just don't. Yeah. And, that, and it's so easy now. It is so easy. Uh, you know, you see, these, you see these videos sometimes and you just, you just want to scream. Like I have to say that I don't know if other people had this, had this reaction. Tell you my my reaction for the very first time I saw the the very difficult to watch George 
Floyd video. Yep. And I just felt like if only there was somebody there, maybe me, maybe you, maybe somebody like us who's yep. experienced yep. in being persuasive yep. and calming things down. Like I just felt that the Funny interaction from the, from the pastors by who were trying to help and mm-hmm. saw something's going on, but because it was combative, again, exactly. I can't get in, in the mind of Shalvin and, and, and his colleagues, but I just felt like guys, you're, you're not, it's not the right way to persuade them. It's not the right way. It's got to be stepping. No, we're with you, of course. We understand, but let's figure this out together versus the, you know, effing let them go and effing you're this and that. Again, I, I can't. No, it's I, funny. I, 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 feel bad that I'm, I feel bad that I'm criticizing because who knows what anybody would have done in a crazy situation like that. Um, but I just feel like, uh, you know, that, that to the extent that, that if only there was somebody there who had experience in diffusing and, and calming things down, like we, of course, you're right, officer. Of course, but let's just, you know, I'm just thinking, just, just toning it down. Maybe they could have convinced them to, to take so, a darn uh, knee off of him. Interest of full disclosure, you and I didn't have, uh, you know, this is not scripted, but it's incredible. Maybe a, a sentence I said before we went live is, or maybe when we spoke uh, yesterday, is that I'm deeply, deeply grateful for the experience uh, that I had at Harvard Law School, but life wisdom. You know, I pro- probably didn't didn't learn from the Allen Halls of Pound Hall or. But there was one, it's interesting. There's one thing that the one course negotiation workshop, Roger Fisher and Bruce Patton's course, I learned one. I mean, there's a lot of interesting things that are practical. Um, and that's one of the things is the very if you reassure the the counterparty, the other party that you understand where they're coming from, that it really takes the adrenaline down and it, right. you know, from adversarial combative to, okay, well, this person is not, they, they know where I'm coming from and they're coming as friend, not foe. It, it's interesting. I mean, we can't judge, but I also thought that perhaps, uh, you know, dial down, things could have been different. Yeah. Okay. So there was something that you, that you said that also um, I'm sure people are thinking, how can you not take these cases home in your heart and your head? You're your father of uh, many kids. Uh, you, you do a lot of things. You've got one friend in me. I mean, how can it not spill over into your personal and social life? So it's, it's very difficult, I have to say. Um, it's, it's acutely difficult when it's a very bad injury or a fatality to a yeah. child that's the same or close to the same age as one of my children, even more difficult, but it's the same age and gender. You know, when I'm, when I'm, I remember once coming home, I was standing in a hospital room and in the, in hospitals, what they'll often do is if there's something that's really, really important, and I don't want to take any chance. Maybe it's a new nurse or new shift who hasn't read the chart. They will hand write old fashioned. Okay. Hand write a sign and put it up right over the patient's head on top of the bed. Okay. Like make sure to change the dressing every, make sure not to give this man, make some. Okay. So I walked into the room and I knew it was serious when the parents had called me, it was a child who was in a bike accident. And I thought I'd seen it all until I saw a sign above this, obviously totally bandaged uh, head on on top of the, the boy who had become my client. And the sign said, no skull, on right side of head. Oh. Now, okay. this is a boy okay. who at the time was the same age as one of my boys. And yeah, it was tough to, to go home that night. And you just, you know, you want to go home. I wanted to, to wake up my son and hug him and hold him and, and cry next to him. It's tough. It is, it is difficult. And, and the way that, that I try not to bring it home is to, is to take seriously the responsibility that these families who have lost loved ones or who have lost limbs or 
or sight or the ability to, to, to walk or, or eat or, or see or breathe without an apparatus. They're trusting me and they're counting on me. And so I take that um, very seriously. But yeah, it's difficult. It's not an easy, it's not wow. an easy profession. So I, I, I think, I mean, both of us, I think are more emotional guys and it takes a toll, you know, it takes a toll because yeah. uh, I, I, I'm, I feel pain very vicariously. So one thing I try and, there's three questions I try and ask every single guest. <clears throat> and this became, I think, picked up by one of the, the, the magazines and I think uh, became, I, I, at least I think one of, the, one of the reasons that this resonates with a lot of people. Three, five, seven years from now, Harry, let's say um, money's not an issue and uh, all things being equal. Where do you want to be and why? There's no one, it's very clear to me from after meeting you for 60 seconds and we both share this, that I don't think either of us want to come to the end of this journey uh, called life and say, okay, we were mediocre. Bronze medal, that's fine. B minus, B, yeah, B, B yeah. plus. That's not, yeah. not, yeah. not a worry. Nice job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. So um, let, let's start with the, uh, it's, it's an interesting mnemonic, the, the Hebrew alphabet where the where the, the word comes from alphabet comes from aleph base the first two letters in the in the uh, in the hebrew uh, alphabet um aleph is first means first and and base it also means bias is house so your house comes first comes first anything else i'm going to say comes after this it's number one yes. um is is i want to spend as much time as possible not just quality time but quantity time with my kids and with my my grandkids wow. um the other things that are meaningful to me is that, uh, and, and, and as you have, you know, the opportunities to speak and to inspire audiences, mm -hmm. um, is it's a, it's a wonderful thing. Yes. It feels mm -hmm. very nice when you're the speaker and you make a joke and people laugh and people right. come up to you afterwards and they say, hey, what a great speech I happened, you know, the, the, uh, the litigator in me, I greatly prefer it. I'll tell this to audiences. You know, it's very nice. I much prefer when somebody comes up to me after and says, that was ridiculous. You're wrong. Let's go. Let's go. Baby. <laughs> Sorry, the wrong guy. Yeah. <laughs> I happen I to enjoy that. But, yeah. but to the extent that, that, that I can inspire audiences with, with yeah. my unique takes on things, whether it's the teaching Talmud to beginners or, or mining life lessons from the, the, uh, the biblical Torah portions, um, or working on my own growth and so those are the the um, the things that I uh, that I want to work on. Uh, I'd like to spend more time in, in Israel, um, yep. particularly now. You know, it, it's sure. it's painful. You talk about people parroting things that they've heard. Mm -hmm. It's it's hard to believe. It's hard to believe that we actually are in a position where we have to defend a country that is defending <laughs> itself from missiles hurled at civilian, civilian. targets, Insane. and and that there are actual. Um, many millions of, of claims out there that Israel acted disproportionately, that they committed war crimes. I don't think that there was a military action in the history of the world that was more humane. The number Absolutely. of people that were killed, when, once you subtract out all of the, um, the, 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 the Gazans that horribly, painfully, and my heart goes out to them, were killed sure. by missiles shot by their own countrymen Pretty from fine. civilian exactly. areas into civilian areas, you subtract those out. You subtract out the numbers of, of terrorists who are killed, and you have an incredibly small number of, um, of civilian deaths. And the fact that we even have to defend this is, um, is mind-boggling. So I'd like to, you know, to the extent I can show solidarity with my, my Jewish brothers and sisters over there, I'd like to. So here's the, the penultimate question. Uh, anyone in the world, uh, present company excluded, 
dead or alive, you get 30 minutes worth. Anyone, it could be someone from my heritage, could be someone that, who would that be and why? So for me, okay. So for me, it would be a rabbi um, who uh, lived and wrote in Troyes, France in the 10 hundreds. His name is Rabbi Shlomo Yitzchaki, my hero. We refer to him by his acronym, Rashi. He is, um, and and this is, it's tough to explain this. I'll, I'll try the best I can. He is the, the greatest of both the biblical and Talmudic commentators. Now, to be one or the other is an astonishing accomplishment. To be able to be the most well-respected commentator on the Bible, that's a pretty big deal. To also be the most Insane. well-respected commentator on the oral law, the Mishnah, and on the Talmud is how in the world did he do it? Jewish population of 100. Um, I find his commentary to be endlessly fascinating because it's meant to both help a beginner understand what's going on in the text. And you have people that are, I'm, I'm a nobody. You have people that are seasoned scholars of the Talmud and the Bible who have spent their lives studying it. And they're still mining new nuggets of depth from his commentary. So I'd love to be able to, uh, to talk through some of his comments. Beautifully said. Okay. So here, here's how we, uh, we're going to tie this in a bow. Firstly, the, the, what we're trying to do is have little vignettes or pearls that come out of these discussions. The idea of making sure you don't have unfinished business, beautiful story, something we can all take home. Uh, the, the idea of using every single opportunity to do random acts of kindness, no one ever regrets that. So as the curtain comes down and I'm mindful of time, here's the question. What would you give a TED talk on and if the thesis is, here's a guy who thinks, uh, here's a guy who's got a good head, head on his shoulders, got the wrong accent, but he's got a good package. And in 18 minutes, you are, um, you're going to, you're going to, the goal being that when the, the, when you say thank you, ladies and gentlemen, at the end of the 18 minutes, they can have two or three tools that they can take with them for the rest of their life. What would be your thesis? What would be your theme? And, and maybe a few points. So I haven't thought that through. You're putting me on the spot, which is fine. I'm used to being on the spot. Um, the mm. first thing that comes to mind is that I would um, curate from my um, large list of talks. Thank God. They try to increase them every year by working on, on new ones. It's some yeah. new ones at the, at the, I think you heard a couple of the new ones. Yeah, fantastic. Um, I would, I would want to curate some of the, what I believe to be incredibly deep, life lessons that we can tease out of stories in the Bible that are right there in plain sight there for the take. They're, 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 they're pearls, they're jewels. Uh, I'll, we have time for me to share one with you. Yeah, of course. Okay. So here's one, here's one of my all time favorites. Okay. So there's an interlude in the middle of the story of Joseph. And we're told about a, a separate story involving his older brother, one of his older brothers, Judah, okay. Judah, is the leader of the tribes. He's the one who's been elected the leader. He's the one from whom the line of kings, the Davidic line is eventually going to come. He is a very, very big deal. So at the time this story is taking place, he's right about, aside from from maybe Joseph and aside from his father, the the saintly Jacob, the patriarch, he's the holiest guy in the world, okay? And his son, his oldest son gets married to a nice young woman named Tamar, and then he passes away. 
And due to a, uh, a law in the Bible called levirate marriage, if, they, if a man and woman are married, they don't have children, um, the woman is supposed to marry the brother unless he, he releases her yep. to marry. They go through a ceremony and then she can marry somebody else if he declines. But she dies, she marries his brother, and then he dies. Oh, gosh. Now, Yehuda is obviously reluctant to marry off his third son to this woman after having right. buried two sons. So he's kind of pushing her off, pushing her off. She knows, the sages tell us that prophetically, She's supposed to be with the family. And so she dresses up as a woman of ill repute at the crossroads. Interestingly, this is how we know there's more to the story than meets the eye. She puts a veil on. Usually a woman looking for that type of business would be unclothing, <laughs> not clothing. Right. Um, but he, he is smitten with her nonetheless. He importunes her. What's your price? My price is a goat. I don't have a goat. I'll give you a goat. How do I know you're going to give me a goat? I'll give you collateral. So mm-hmm. he gives her his, his cloak and his staff and his ring. That would be like one of us, God forbid, we should never do, you know, engage in that type of activity, but we like somebody nowadays telling a woman of ill repute in a brothel, listen, I don't have any money on me, but I gotta give you an IOU. What are you crazy? I don't think I, (laughs) one second, I'm gonna give you my phone and my wallet and my car keys. You're coming back. I'm coming back. That guy's coming back. That guy's coming back. I'm coming back, all right? That's what he does. So fine, he gets home after they're together and they're intimate. And he goes over to his good friend and business associate, Hiram the Adulamite, not Jewish. He's a non-Jewish friend. Yeah. And he says, um, in a conversation I can imagine, you know, started off a little bit of a mumble. Hiram, I need a favor from you. Sure. <laughs> Jude, what can I do for you, man? Yeah, I need you to go, uh, go to a girl or a goat. No, I'm sorry. Jude, what did you say? I need you to you know, bring, a, bring a goat to a girl. Jude, you need me to do what? I need you to bring a goat to a girl. You need me to bring a goat to a girl? Yeah, and when you get there get back my, my cloak and my, and my ring <laughs> and my staff. Why does she have your cloak and your, and your ring? Hear him for crying out loud, okay? He's got to explain this to him. It is beyond embarrassing. This is the leader of the Jewish people has to explain that he wants his friend to go bring a goat to so, pay a prostitute to get back his collateral, his staff. He's, dying. And his he's dying there. He's yeah. dying from embarrassment. <laughs> There's a rabbi who says, you know what life lesson we take from this story? Right there, hidden in plain view. Every person in the world has to have a friend with whom they can share anything. Deepest, darkest. Not just a deep, meaningful conversation. You've got to be able to share anything. You want to grow? We never grow unless we're uncomfortable. And you're not going to get uncomfortable in your own head. It's uncomfortable to have to share a story like that with a friend. And that's what what we see from there. I think it's such a beautiful story. So Harry, firstly, terrific how I think that you've merged your worlds, uh, that you, notwithstanding the fact that I think we're both grateful to have had, you know, an Ivy League background, but true life wisdom, I think that we perhaps have learned more outside of the, the bastions of, of uh, but I think, thank God, we both found different platforms to share that. Um, I want to give you the opportunity just to share with our listeners how they can find a little bit more about you. URL, uh, you know, home phone number, sure. bank account. Um, so my, the, the URL, our website is injurylawyer.com. Um, easy to remember. Uh, no one should ever get hurt. As we always say, we're not praying for, for I remember I was once coming out of, of prayer services in the morning and it snowed while we were in services. And yeah. I walk in the parking lot, the cars are covered in snow, and a friend starts yelling at me, Rothenberg, will you cut that out? What are you talking about? <laughs> he goes, I know, you pray for snow, so it'll be bad weather, there'll be more accidents. <laughs> I said, are you out of your mind? You don't Nuts. pray for people to get hurt. God forbid, no one should ever get hurt. If they get hurt, 
then they should call us. But I'm not praying for injuries, God forbid. Um, but if anybody ever gets hurt, they should call us. Yeah, um, we have offices in, in, in New York, uh, in Manhattan. That's right. Uh, typically, I'm uh, multiple offices in New Jersey. Our flagship office, our regional office uh, is in Philadelphia. Um, if it's a sizable enough case, we will go to other states. We're even willing to go to, to foreign countries like California. If it's yeah. a, um, <laughs> if it's a, if it's a big enough case of so injurylawyer.com. And, and if Beautiful. people are interested in my, in, uh, in the types of things that I'm talking about, teasing out these life lessons from the, the Bible or the Jewish holidays, I do a short weekly video. It's easy to find uh, on YouTube, put in Harry's video blog, or you can put in my name, um, and, uh, Beautiful. three, four minutes, try to keep it under five. Hopefully you'll have a nice, uh, interesting insight and a, and a takeaway that, uh, that I hope you'll find as inspiring as I do each week. Brilliant. Harry, obviously, I'm, I'm very grateful. I have no doubt that uh, we will be involved in a lot of things in the months and years ahead. I appreciate very much your time. I sincerely believe that the world is a better place, that Harry Roth, Rothenberg sojourns in it, and uh, continued success and only good things. Thank you very much, and right back at you. Thanks, Thanks for the invite. Time. Be well. Cheers. Hope to see you soon. Take care. Right. Stay Excellent. safe Thanks, and stay well. You too. Bye. Ciao. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.